sometimes it can be hard to know uh, really what passage to focus on for preaching. Generally, in liturgical preaching, it's the gospel, almost always. But the preacher has flexibility. But, you know, I thought uh, with the story of Ruth in front of us today, um, we would look there because this only comes up once every three years in our cycle of readings, and even then, just a few verses. We don't get the whole story. We have a little bit next week, but since it's all saints, we're replacing those scriptures. And I debated uh, for this morning just reading the whole book for us. It doesn't take that long to do. It's four chapters. But instead, I'll encourage you to go home and find some time this week to read it. The reason I, didn't, I decided not to do it was that, one, that's sort of unusual. I want to keep everybody's attention. <laughs> but secondly, I tried, and I couldn't get through it. And you didn't need to see me up here doing that. So I just decided, you go read it. But we are going to talk about it, and I'll give you kind of the overview of, of the story. We don't know when it was written. We don't know who wrote it. And it's placed in the canon of the Old Testament where it is because it references the time of the judges. But in the Hebrew scriptures that are used in Judaism, it's in a different place. It's actually among the writings, the third section of the Tanakh. And there you'll find the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and so on, including the book of Job. Because there's a relationship in how scholars, especially uh, rabbinical scholars, have seen uh, Ruth and Job together. And they have a lot in common. Things start sort of stable and good. There's disaster. And then over time, restoration. Now that's overly simplified, but they both sort of have that shape. The ancient rabbis said that Ruth was written down to teach us a lesson in the acts of loving kindness. In brief, the story goes like this, and you've already heard some of it. Naomi and her husband Elimelech are driven by famine from Bethlehem into Moab. They have two sons that marry women from Moab. And after, two year, after ten years, the sons die because the father had already died. Well, now there are three widows. Naomi hears there's food back home at Bethlehem. So she decides to return, and she tells her two daughters-in-law, go back to your families. There, you have a better chance there of a stable life, of a good life. You can find husbands and marry, and in that, that culture in that time, that was really necessary. Orpah agrees. But Ruth refuses to leave Naomi. And we have her famous words, the words that uh, were read today. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. You know, that's often included in weddings, right? And, and that's fine, but it really has to do with this deep friendship and relationship between Ruth and Naomi. Well, once in Bethlehem, once they're there, and remember, they're, they're widows, they're poor, they, they need to find food, even though there's food there, and things are growing again, they have to go get it. And so Ruth goes out to glean in the field. That is, she'll follow the harvesters and pick up whatever's left behind. Usually it's not the best stuff, right? Well, she comes to the attention of the landowner, Boaz, who turns out to be related to Naomi on her husband's side. And he shows favor to Ruth, even though she is a foreigner. And they make this point over and over again here, that she's not one of them. And Moab was not on the list of friendly countries, by the way. He's impressed, though, with the way that she has treated Naomi and how she's been loyal to her. Well, 
so he kind of shows her a little attention, right? He's helping, he says, just, just stay in my field. I think already he had something going for her, right? A little, just, just a little bit. Well, Ruth then gets some instruction by her mother-in-law to how to move that process along with him. So you go and read that. I think it's very fascinating. And eventually they do marry. They have a child, Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse, who's the father of David. Ruth, an outsider, a Gentile, a Moabite to boot, is the great-grandmother of King David and an ancestor of Jesus. You know, there are some compelling features of this story. That one is really great. And I want to highlight a few of them. The first, the first thing that we often uh, skip over in this story is the lament that's happening in it. The story has a happy ending, doesn't it? But it begins in loss, deep loss. Naomi's husband dies, and then her two sons. In that culture, it means that she also lost any economic stability and protection. And this was the case with her daughters-in-law as well, which is why she urges them to go to their own families. She laments the harsh treatment of the Lord against her. When she gets to Bethlehem, the residents are overjoyed to see her. Ah, is that really Naomi? Naomi, great to see you. You've come back. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. There are echoes of Job here. It's why some commentators see it as a Job story wrapped in different clothing. Naomi has lost everything. She's destitute. She blames God for her situation. And she insists that Ruth and Orpah return home to Moab because they will share the same fate as her if they stick with her. In her mind, she's offering them a better future, a selfless act. A poor widow who's lost it all is now willing to lose the one thing she has left, which is this relationship. Hmm. It's heartbreaking. But the story, the writer doesn't try to clean it up, doesn't issue any sort of judgment against her for her lamentation. In fact, this story gives her room to lament. Often we don't know to do with what to do with Naomi's, do we? Those who lament and feel that they've been dealt a bitter blow by God. We have them in our lives. Maybe it's us. But we don't know what to do with them because we feel that it should be fixed or we should fix something. You know, what do we do? What do we say? How can we get fixed? We desire a happy, clappy faith where we've not made room in our theologies for suffering and sorrow. Sung Chang Ra, in his book Prophetic Lament, observes that the American church avoids lament. He says the power of lament is minimized, and the underlying narrative of suffering that requires us to lament is lost. We love the outcome of Ruth's story. We're drawn to the blossoming relationship between Ruth and Boaz, but sometimes we skip over too easily where the story finds its beginning and the terrible loss that the women have experienced and how poor their prospects. Like Job, Naomi laments, yet also like Job, she is not without faith. I think what we really see when we read the book that stands out to us is the quality of loyalty, a deep loyalty. It's a story of women who are trying to make it in a world that's all about men, really. And we see the deep affection of Ruth toward her mother-in-law, 
and the loyalty that binds her to Naomi's fate. On the surface, Ruth's chances were better for a good life if she had returned to her own family, her own culture, her own people. By choosing Naomi, she was choosing an uncertain future, unknown future. And it risked being as bad as Naomi said it would be. We're not given a motivation for her loyalty, you know, why she made the decision to remain. But it reveals her character, a character that God honors in the outcome of her life. I uh, went searching for commentaries on Ruth. Uh, I have to tell you, most of them are written by men. That's okay, right? The scholars, most of them are written by men, and women can write about men, and men can write about women. But I thought, I, where can I get kind of a perspective on this? It might be different than what I bring to it. And uh, I found this it's a beautiful little commentary from Professor Catherine Dube Sockenfeld, who was uh, at Princeton Seminary. And um, she's written a commentary on Ruth. And she says this about it. She says, it's the extraordinary behavior of Ruth in response to Naomi's need that moves the story from grief to joy, from emptiness to fullness. Here we have a story of two women working together to make a way out of no way, to find security in the midst of a system that has little to offer to widows without families. Actually, Ruth and Naomi have little in common except this experience with, with the sons and the father. They're different ages, they're different ethnic backgrounds from groups traditionally at enmity with each other. And the relationship as mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, well, that's not always an easy one, right? Um, but they're not the only ones who display loyalty here. It's also Boaz. He, he exhibits kindness and loyalty to Ruth, a kindness that he says that is based on watching Ruth care for Naomi. He's drawn to her. He's drawn to her loyalty. The Hebrew term for this kind of extraordinary behavior is hesed. Hesed. And it's usually translated kindness or loyalty. And it's a strong term. It's a heavy, uh, it's a weighty term. And it doesn't just point to generic kindness or loyal, loyalty. It, it refers to care or concern for another with whom one is in relationship. A care that specifically takes shape in an action to rescue the other from a situation of desperate need. Her kindness, her loyalty of Ruth is a rescue for Naomi. Naomi's loyalty in advising Ruth on how to woo Boaz into marriage is a rescue. Boaz's loyalty to Ruth is also in its way a rescue, not only for Ruth, but for Naomi as well. Now, loyalty has its downsides for sure, right? Blind loyalty is not a good thing. Remaining loyal in abusive situations, no. But at its best, and in the right circumstances of our lives, it's loyalty that can rescue, loyalty that can restore, loyalty that can heal and redeem. Do you and I have this sense of loyalty to others in our relationships? Do we know people who are loyal to us, no matter of our situation that we're facing? Those who will stick with us, who will speak the truth in love and be there for us as a way of rescue from desperate situations. We need people like that in our lives, and we need to be those kinds of people for others. Let's also not forget something that the author of Ruth reminds us several times. 
Ruth is an outsider. She's a Moabite. She comes from a place often at odds with Israel. She probably looks different. She sounds different. She acts differently. They call her the foreigner. And she is. But she has this deep character of kindness and loyalty that transcends that difference. This is an immigrant story. It's a refugee story. It's a friendship story. And it's a story about legacy. In Matthew's genealogy, right at the beginning of the New Testament, something most people skip over is this genealogy. And there are four women mentioned here in Matthew's genealogy that are Gentiles. They are outsiders. They're foreigners. Yet they're ancestors of Jesus. Craig Keener notes that ancient genealogies didn't include women for the most part. But Matthew's making a point of this. There's Tamar. There's Rahab. There's Bathsheba, who is wife of a Hittite, and there's Ruth. Jewish genealogies were designed to highlight the purity of one's Israelite heritage. So why does Matthew include these women? It's to show us that the gospel has always been about the whole world. Always full of diversity and difference. Where outsiders are brought in and insiders sometimes cast out. Ruth the Moabite becomes Ruth, a grandmother of Jesus of Nazareth. Wow. I love that. And this should guide our thoughts and actions, I think, about those that we might might consider outsiders. We would look at the psalm, again, from 146, that the Lord cares for the stranger. He sustains the orphan and the widow. I want to read just the closing section of this as a way to kind of just wrap up our time at Ruth. And please go read it um, this week if you have an opportunity. This is from the message. Boaz married Ruth. She became his wife. Boaz slept with her, and by God's gracious gift, she conceived and had a son. The town woman said to Naomi, Blessed be God, he, he didn't leave you without family to carry on your life. May this baby grow up to be famous in Israel. He'll make you young again. He'll take care of you in old age. And this daughter-in-law who's brought him into the world and loves you so much, she's worth more to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby, held him in her arms, cuddling him, cooing over him, waiting on him hand and foot. The neighborhood women started calling him Naomi's baby boy. But his real name was Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Thanks be to God.